images on a screen, the, the, those are children. Those are awesome kids. And when I went back and I totaled up all that you all have given since 2015, now we started in 2012, but we don't have records from 2012 to, to 2015, so the, the number would be more in the $150,000, $160,000 range that you all as people have given to sponsor those kids. It's just amazing. And so I kind of feel like today's message is preaching to the choir because you guys are getting it done better than any group of people I've ever seen. But because I have to preach on something, here it goes, okay? All right, well, see, guys, there are moments after which no one will be the same, okay? God gives us a series of those. You know, for example, when, when I became a father for the first time, I knew after seeing my newborn daughter I knew that life would never be the same. I could be a good father or a bad father, but one thing happened, I could never be like I was before. Um, this series about moments in Scripture, of which people would never be the same regardless of the outcome. And God brings us to moments where we have, where, where basically we have a choice. We can choose well, we can choose poorly. The only thing we can't do is stay the same. And so I want to take you guys to Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 22. It's kind of strange. It's not even Thanksgiving yet, but we're giving a, 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 the Christmas story. But here it goes. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to, expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angels of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So here is Joseph's current situation. Good man with a good life. That, that actually describes a lot of us today. Hey, we're not uh, that bad. We're you know, kind of making it our way through lives. We're raising the family maybe. We're paying our bills. We're going to work. You know, I mean, decent life. Not really making any waves. Not really doing much. Just kind of living our lives and not hurting anybody. Right? That's the way a lot of people are. Okay? And that's what Joseph's current situation was. He was a good man with a good life. And then something happens. And, and this story is written in our hearts. One of our favorite stories in our culture is the person who's just kind of going along, minding his own business, minding her own business, and then something extraordinary happens. We got any Star Wars fans in here? I mean, like the real Star Wars before Disney came in and screwed it up? I mean, like real Star Wars. Yeah, and I said that. If Disney's watching, yeah, I'm talking to you, all right? Um, you know, here's Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker is just a normal farm boy living on Tatooine, you know, repairing uh, moisture evaporators, and a really, really wild night is going into Toshi Station to pick up what? Power converters. Yes, I knew, I knew there'd be people that knew that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, two droids, R2-D2, C-3PO enters life. Obi-Wan Kenobi says, you've got to go help. And then all of a sudden, he's lifted out of his just normal life into this larger story that's going on all around him. The empire, the rebellion that he was completely oblivious to before that moment. Okay, um, Mr. Anderson, 
just a normal computer programmer in the, in the movies, and all of a sudden, he gets a cell phone, and Morpheus, he gets a phone call from Morpheus, and he is, he's taken out of this kind of normal life into this huge story that's going on around him called The Matrix. Got any Lord of the Rings fans in here? Frodo Baggins is just a normal hobbit, living a normal existence, not really making anybody mad, just kind of minding his own business. All of a sudden, Gandalf shows up, and the ring of power comes to him, and he is launched out of his little uh, ordinary life into this great story that's going on around him that he was oblivious to, the battle between good and evil where he has this huge role to play. We love this story. These are the, there's a reason why these movies make so much money, because that is our story, you guys. That is our story. I, I was a 17-year-old kid trying to figure out where I was going to go to college when Christ approached me and lifted me out of this, this you know, humdrum American existence into this larger story where the gospel is, is, is key and where Christ is supreme and, and this battle between Satan and Jesus and good and evil and where there's this huge calling on life. It's kind of lifted me out of that and he's done that with you too. We just wake up to the greater story that's going on around you and that's what happens to Joseph in this situation. He's just kind of, he's a carpenter. He's Paying the bills. He's, you know, righteous man, Scripture tells us. He's building stuff, minding his own business. He was engaged to be married to a young teenager named Mary, who apparently, according to God, was the greatest woman on earth. You know, that, that, that's why he chose Mary to be the mother of his child, because she was the greatest woman on earth. You know that, right? Yeah? So he was, married to, he was engaged to this amazing woman, not doing bad, not doing good, living a decent life, an obscure part of the Roman Empire. Then all of a sudden, Mary knocks on the door. And she looks at him and says, um, Joe? I'm pregnant. But it's not what you think. Okay? You see, it's from God. Hmm. Now, let me talk to the gentleman in here. What would be your reaction if your fiancé that you have never had, had relations with because you're a righteous man, you're doing things the right way, comes to you and says, I'm pregnant. You, and, but it's from God. You say, Mary, there's only one way this happens. Who's the father? What have you done? I know that'd be my reaction. And God brings Joseph to this crossroads moment. From this point forward, his life will never be the same because if he chooses to do what God says to do and adopt Jesus as his child and raise a child not his own, life is going to be very different. But if he walks away from it and he, divorces, he breaks off the engagement and puts Mary away, his life will never be the same either because he will never have, a, 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 his fiance has gone and everything. You see, the, the only thing that cannot happen is stay the same. And that's, what, that's the moment that God, bring, that God brings to Joseph. And this is the moment where God changes everything and every one of us had those moments question is, what will you do? What will you do when God brings you to a moment that changes everything? When 
He puts you at a crossroads, and you can either choose well or you can choose poorly, but the only thing you can't do is stay the same. What are you going to do? That's a million-dollar question. When God called me to ministry, he didn't do it all at once. Didn't do it all at once. He never does. He reveals things over time. For those of you all that want to know what the next 20, 30 years of your life are going to look like, I got bad news for you. He doesn't do that. He tells you one little bit at a time because there's only, we can only handle so much. He knows that about us. He loves us, and he doesn't want to overwhelm us. So he, he, he didn't tell me at age 17 when he called me to him to repent of my sins and to, and to become a Christian. He didn't tell me that I'd be a pastor because I would have been scared. I, I, that, that came later. And, and, and he didn't tell me as a youth pastor that one of these days I'd be a church planter. That came later. And, and he didn't tell me as a church planter that he would call me to care for orphans and that one of my passions, one of my driving passions in life would be orphan care. Didn't tell me that. That came later. But in 2012, you guys, God brought me to a crossroads moment. I was, I was passionate about church planting, and I wanted to, to teach pastors about church planting, church, pastors that didn't have access to seminaries and the resources that we had and everything like that. We, we, we had a lot to share, and so the um, Lord called me to look in Asia, and, and long story short, went to Nepal and India on a 19-day mission trip to teach pastors in different places how to plant churches, okay? And, and while I was over there, I saw something that I hadn't previously seen. See, prior to, prior to that moment, you all, orphans were invisible to me. It's not that I hated them. I didn't know they existed. I, 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 I didn't, you can walk out the streets of our city and the cities I've grown up and, and, and never see a, a raggedy, a, a, a child dressed in rags sorting through a dumpster looking for food because they have no food. Um, we don't see children being, being taken into homes literally in front of your eyes to be victims of human traffickers. We, I, I, I haven't seen that, so because I didn't see it, I didn't think it existed. It's not that I didn't care, it's I didn't know. For 38 years of my life, you guys, I'd gotten up, gone to work or school, I'd been a dad, I'd worked, and I'd never seen an orphan. And so they were out of sight out of mind and quite honestly you guys I hate to say this but I think I liked it that way I think I liked not knowing they were there because I kind of liked the way life was and you and I we'd all you know watch those commercials that would play you know what they are the slow motion shots of little kids crying you know turning slowly towards the camera you know uh, um, off voice in the background asking for money for sponsored children you know the deal I've seen those things time and time again and then I went to Nepal and India and I met high capacity pastors that were church planners and missionaries and reaching people in hostile areas with the gospel and every one of them was doing orphan care every one of them and I saw the orphans they were serving these orphans were vulnerable to poverty, disease, human trafficking, starvation, you name it. They were the most vulnerable people I'd ever seen. And I watched orphan care be a huge part of what they saw as their calling to serve. Because no one else did. And then I met the kids. They weren't just faces being used to raise money. They were real people. And something awakened within me, you guys. A moment after which I would never be the same. It was a moment that God changed everything 
in my choices whether to follow or ignore? Do I take those, these, these children that are laughing and running, you saw them running after my son and, 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 and embracing him, and, and you know, do, do I just forget about those kids, or do we do something to serve? The only thing I know is that we couldn't go back the way we were. You see, God will bring you to a crossroads moment in life. He always does. Um, and what I found in the story of Joseph, I'd read the, God, the Christmas story more times than I ever care to, care, to, care to imagine, and I never realized that Jesus was an orphan in need of adoption. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was an orphan raised by a man, not his father, biological father. Joseph adopted him. And what I found was that the ultimate adoptee, Jesus, becomes the ultimate adopter. See, before we can really get serious about orphan care and caring about orphans, we have to understand first that Jesus himself was an orphan and then that all of us are orphans until God adopts us. Think about it, you guys. Think about this, that because of our sin, we were out of the family. We were kicked out. We were written out of the will because of our sin and and because of your sin and my sin. We were lost and we were cut out of the family inheritance, cut out of the family. And our only deserved place when we die was in hell. That was it. That's what the gospel says. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, because of his great mercy, because of his grace, goes to the cross, and he wipes our sin away, and he says, you know what? You are no longer an orphan. You are part of my family. Look at what it says here. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, for he chose us in him before the creation of this world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. The plan from the beginning of time was to adopt us back into the family, to take orphans and make them sons and daughters. And the, the real thing, though, I, I, I've, talked with, I've talked with adoptive families before, people that have adopted. And you know when the moment hits, and this is what I've heard, when the moment hits that you know your adoption is real, that this is it, is when you get written into the will. When, when let, let's say that there are two children, biological children, and a third one comes in, it's when the inheritance gets split, splits three ways that it's real. The inheritance. When that's how you know you are not an outsider, you're not, you're not just a, an, an addition, you're not just the one that we say you're part of the family, but you're not, uh-uh. No, when you are part, equal share of the inheritance, that's when you know you're truly in the family. And that's exactly what God says. He says, you have an inheritance now through Jesus Christ. And the inheritance is the Holy Spirit. The inheritance is eternal life. You are not a, 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 a son or daughter in name only. You are in. And when you realize that that is how God has treated you, all right, See, God has filled this world with object lessons to teach us spiritual truth. I don't know if you know that or not. Filled fill this world with object lessons. Um, for example, God has given us marriage. I don't know if you know this or not, 
But marriage is not just about you and your spouse. Marriage was designed by God to be an object lesson of how God and his people interact. People, people say, well, you know, how, how does God and how do God and his people interact? Oh, there's a married couple. That's how they, that, that's how they interact. Not like a dictator and his subjects. It's a, a husband and a wife. That's what marriage is supposed to be. It's an object lesson of how, how, um, how they love each other, how they interact, how they live together. Example of how God and his people interact is radical stuff. Um, God has also given us weeds and dandelions as an object lesson. You know that? Check this out. Why? To annoy us? Well, yes, they do annoy us, but he's also given for another reason, to teach us a, a profound spiritual truth, all right? Your heart, your yard is like your heart, and it sits there primed, and when seeds hit your yard, your yard is primed for it, whatever is planted there to grow, and the same way your heart is like your yard, and whatever is put in here is going to grow and produce. And like weeds, if you see one dandelion, you know pretty soon they're going to be 10. Then they're going to be 100. In the same way, whatever gets into our hearts, God has given us our yards covered with weeds to understand we need to guard our hearts. It's an object lesson he's given us. In the same way, this thing on my face here, this skin cancer on my face that is being nuked right now. That's why it's red. It's being nuked right now. Back in March, it was only here, and it's grown since then. And if I don't take it out now, it's going to be much more difficult down the road. Are you saying that God gives cancer? No, I'm not saying God gives cancer. That's a different talk for a different day. But that is the, the spiritual truth is that we have to take things out early. Sin is like cancer, and it grows, and it consumes until it finally kills. And we have to take it out when, we're, when it's small. We have to take out sin when it's small before it wrecks our lives. It's a spiritual truth in the same way. Adoption is the ultimate object lesson of what the gospel is. We're broken, lost, we're orphans, we don't have our destination, our future is looking terrible, and all of a sudden here comes God in his grace and he adopts us into his family, guarantees us an inheritance, loves us. It's the ultimate picture of the gospel. The ultimate adopter, adoptee, Jesus becomes the ultimate adopter. And that's when that, and that belief and that, we, until we understand that, we'll never understand why the church takes adoption and orphan care so seriously. Because the orphan story is our story, you understand. That's what it is. And when Jesus says to do unto others as you have others do unto you, he doesn't tell us to do something he hasn't done himself. He's adopted us and therefore adopt the orphan care is not an option for the believer in Christ. James 1.27 says this, Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and follows is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Like I said, the problem isn't that our hearts are embittered towards orphans. I know the hearts of this congregation. You all aren't hardened against anyone. You aren't. If you were, I'd say it, but you're not. The problem is we just don't see them. Can't serve whom what we don't see. It's only when we see orphans that we'll do something about it. They're there. Oh, are they there? They're everywhere. I've traveled to three continents. I've preached in six different countries, United States, Mexico, Dominican Republic, Chile, Nepal, and India. There are orphans everywhere. One of the most heartwarming stories 
about this. I ever read a few years ago, a teenager, 15-year-old in Florida, walked into a church, stood up, and announced, I need a family, and it doesn't matter what you look like, doesn't matter your color, it's old, young, it doesn't matter what size house you've got, but right now, I need a family. The church in the following weeks after that story broke was overwhelmed with calls. Hundreds, if not thousands of people wanting to adopt that teenager. People who hadn't adopted before because they hadn't seen the orphan. When they saw him, they responded. And right now, in our community, in the state of Kentucky, there are more than 9,000 children in foster care that need a family. And I would imagine if any one of them was to walk into these doors, stand right there in the middle, hold up his hand and said, listen, attention, I need a family. I'd imagine there would be a mad rush for you all to, to, to adopt. Well, the problem is, is that they're not walking into our church. That, does, that, that hasn't happened. And because we don't see them, we don't do anything. And that's the problem. But the nice thing is, you guys, is that it has never, ever been easier to serve orphans than right now. We have a saying around here, and it's this. Let's follow along here. If you can't adopt, foster. can't foster, mentor. If you can't mentor, sponsor. There are plenty of options. The only option not available to us is to do nothing. God has not given us that option. It's amazing seeing orphans, which all of us are, caring for orphans. You see, guys, orphans need us. They need us. But it's not just a chance to change the life of a child. It's also a chance to live out the gospel in a way you've never thought possible. Jesus was an orphan. He was adopted by Joseph. If you're a believer in Christ today, you were an orphan. Your sin had alienated you from your father. God came and adopted you, bringing you to his family, making you a full member so that you receive an inheritance. That's the gospel. That's it right there, isn't it? Isn't that the gospel? And you have the choice and the chance to live that out by turning and doing the same for orphans in this world. Now, let's get practical. Like I said, we have four levels of orphan care. Level one, which is the easiest, is sponsoring. You guys saw children in our orphanage. That is our orphanage over in India that we've been supporting since 2012. And the, it, it costs either $30 or $35. They're not going to, they're not going to, They'll, they'll take whatever they can, but that sponsors a child. That feeds a child, houses a child, education, clothes, everything for an entire month, basically a dollar a day. And 100% of what is given to our orphanage gets over there. All right? We don't have any administrative fees. We don't have anything. Whatever is given is sent over there, 100%. Um, it, it, there, there are also uh, organizations like Compassion, World Vision, uh, things like this where you can sponsor a child. Okay? If you, don't think that you have to adopt you can care for orphans even if you can't adopt, okay? But we have to do something. We have to be involved in some level. 
If, if, if the next level of orphan care is mentoring, getting involved in, in the life of a child who's affected by incarceration or who is fatherless or motherless, um, being an influence. Uh, there are programs like Amachi, uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, where you can be an influence in the life of a child that needs you, <clears throat> that, that doesn't, is left to figure out life on his own or her own. All right? The third level is foster care. Foster care, this gets more, this when, when the child comes into your home and, and, and you care for them while their parents are sorting their lives out or until plans for a permanent place are done. And then the fourth is adoption, where you adopt and you take the child into your family and they become yours and, and you become theirs. Uh, you know that there is no age limit for adoption. I heard of a 38-year-old woman that was just adopted last week. 38 years old, no family, and she was just adopted into the family. So there's, 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 no, there's no age limit, um, and uh, you never stop being an orphan, even if you're over 18. You know that, right? Um, back in 2012, I'm going to invite the band to come on back up. Back in 2012, God performed a miracle. If you've never heard this story, you haven't been in this church before, but I'm going to tell it again because it's so amazing. I went over to Nepal and India in, in February, and I'm, I saw the kids and saw everything, came back home. Well, we were celebrating International Orphan Sunday as a church, first time we'd ever done it. And I, I said, well, there's a, uh, I was talking to, to Ravi in India, and I said, we're celebrating International Orphan Sunday. And he said, well, um, just tell your church there are opportunities to sponsor kids in our orphanage. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And I, so I just said, oh, you know, if I, anybody wants to sponsor a child, you know, Compassion, World Vision, we've sponsored children through there, and there's this orphanage in India that, you know, if anybody wants to sponsor kids, you, you give me the money and I'll send it, my Western Union it over there and, and everything like that. I thought there'd be maybe, I, and that's literally how I announced it, I thought there'd be maybe one or two families, 25 families came forward and said, we want to do this in the orphanage in India. And we had no system. The, our, our system back then was everybody give me cash. I took it to um, Western Union, plumped the cash down. Western Union took fees and sent it over there. That was our system. There was no, that, that, we, we were not prepared for the, for the rush. Well, then India's government decided to shut that down, and I was blocked from sending money to Western Union. Um, that's when they kicked uh, uh, compassion out of India and everything, they, they're really stopping that, so we had to come up with a different system where we can, where we can get um, it over there, which is much more secure and much more, has, a, has much more accountability and much more everything. But I will never forget watching the Holy Spirit move in our church that morning. Watching people catch a vision. Watching people through no prompting not, not a guilt trip, not a, not a, uh, any, just an offhanded comment becoming the largest ministry in this church. And since 2012, sending an estimated $150,000, $160,000 over there to change the lives of those children. Unbelievable. God performed a miracle that day. 
And, and maybe, maybe the reason I say that is because I want him to do it again, because I want you all that aren't involved in orphan care, those of you that, that, have, that have never seen them or just haven't made that decision yet, I want you to ask you, I want to challenge you to get involved in this bigger story that's been going on this, this passion that God has for orphans, this passion that Jesus wants to put within his followers to care for the least of these. I want you guys to do that. If you are interested in that, if you're watching us online, you want to do that, there is a tab where you can give to our Calus Orphanage India. You can go to, to the giving, and, you can, and, and $35 to sponsor a child. And if you, this is something that you guys would like to do. Do that because the ministry is so good. Currently, Catalyst Christian Church sponsors 151 orphans. And there are a thousand more that need us. And so if you have been moved, if you can't adopt, foster. If you can't foster, mentor. If you can't mentor, sponsor. But do something because the least of these need us. They need us. And being involved in orphan care has been one of the greatest joys and one of the greatest satisfactions in my life. For 38 years, you guys, I didn't see orphans. 38 wasted years. And if, that was, if that's you, you're on the verge of wasting the next 38 unless you decide to do something about it now. My prayer is that you will, you will do this because there's nothing like it, you guys. And like I said, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are the most awesome church when it comes to this I've ever seen. Thank you all. Thank you all. Let's take it to the next level. God bless you. Stand with us as we sing. I was buried beneath 